Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. What happened to the frog's car when it broke down? He got towed away. I'm going through a series of I believe statements that I felt the Holy Spirit said that we need to re-examine as values for this church. They're not new values, they're old values, but I um, wanted to make the first statement. And I said, I believe in 2022 will be a year where the Word manifests itself incarnationally in and among our people like never before. I would say as a pastor of a church like this where we very reverently, every leader, every elder, every staff person, and every disciple maker in this place makes a huge emphasis on the authority and the impact and the importance of the Scripture in our lives on a daily basis. That, that is not a problem in this church. But can I just tell you, one of the things that I also know about this church and many, quote, Bible-believing churches, we are a lot like the little boy whose grandmother took him out to the park with his newly minted Bible. Now, this little boy was given this Bible from it by a Sunday school teacher, and he couldn't read, but he had been taught that it was God's Word, and he had seen his mom and dad read. So he sat out on his park bench with his grandmother, and he opened the Bible up, and he did this. Reverently, for about five minutes. And then he put it down, and he says... I've read the Word. And I believe that's almost a parable of the way a lot of us read the Bible. We're not comprehending. We're not really getting it. We're not really there. We're dutiful. We're reverent. But the Word is not actually getting inculcated inside of every bit of our fiber. And there... What, what we don't lack is reverence. What we may lack, and it's probably my fault and our, our fault in terms of training, Sunday, Sunday needs to be an equipping. And so one of the things I'm going to do today is I want to set up this week, because uh, we're going to camp on this maybe for at least two weeks and maybe longer, the whole idea of how to integrate the Word of God into your life so that you become the living Bible that most people will read. And just as Jenny was sharing some really sad statistics about the church and how a lot of young men and young women who are church attenders, not unlike this church, maybe even in this church, who have had an abortion. And... Our job is not to condemn or judge, but our job is to go, okay, what happened and why did it happen? And 
what really happened was the Word of God didn't become flesh inside of them. And you go, what do you mean by that, Steve? And I, I'm going to give you an example. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says these words in the Word of God. In my mother's womb, I was wonderfully and magnificently formed by you. Before I was even in her womb, you knew me. Okay, that's the Word of God. That's the theological underpinning of why we say that life actually, you know, really the theological correction is your life and my life didn't happen at the moment of conception. It was, it was happening before then in the mind and heart of God. But when your mother and your father came together, you were conceived, and at that moment there was life. Now, I dare say we believe that up here. But when you get into a crisis situation where maybe you have an unplanned pregnancy and all of a sudden the question is, has that word become living on the inside of you? And uh, I'm going to give you a real life story about that. Uh, when Brenda and I were 16 years old, I met Jesus. I got radically saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I began to devour the Bible. We fell in love. We went to college. We were instructed by older people that may not have had biblical wisdom that we should wait until we were at least through college to get married. There's only one problem with that. There's another Bible verse that says it's better to marry than to burn. And the adults in our life didn't read that Bible verse. They were reading the verses out of the world uh, pages. This says, you know, you shouldn't get married when you're too young. Well, despite that fact that I did believe that uh, fornication was wrong, we still had it. And Brenda got pregnant at the age of 19 during our sophomore year of college. But there was one thing that never crossed either of our minds was to have an abortion. It didn't even register. Now this was 1976 when just three years after Roe v. Wade. And we had the opportunity legally and totally uh, and in fact, the very first words out of the doctor that said, oh, by the way, you're pregnant. Do you want to have an abortion? That was his first words. And she was horrified. And I, she told me, and I just got mad. I was like, who is this guy trying to kill my kid? So the word, I'm not try, uh, what I'm trying to say is the word had gotten inside of me and my reaction was automatically in compliance with it. That's called the Word being made flesh. And I'm telling you this because not, not to say, well, we're such great people. That has nothing to do with it. What I'm saying is when the Word of God gets down deep in the roots of your soul, it changes everything about who you are. 
It's not just up here some sort of informational transfer. It begins to seep into the very fiber of the core of your soul. It begins to redefine everything about who you are. You are no longer the subject of your own self-sovereignty. You've, become, uh, you've come under the sovereignty of the Word of the living God. Amen. Now, I'm not here to talk about apologetics today, which is kind of the defense of the Bible. There's a lot more wise scholars than I that can do that, and they've done it. Suffice it to say, this Bible has been... You know, there's never been a book in the history of the world that have had so many people die for it than this book. I almost say that's enough said. Uh, If this book were so marginalized as so many would like it to be, then why does it continue to be the one thing that continues to one everywhere it goes It transforms nations and peoples, and at the same time, simultaneously, people in authority. It is the most undermining of despotic authority in the world. Freedom comes wherever this book gets proliferated. That right there, to me, is enough of an apologetic. Voltaire, who was the famous French philosopher who hated Christianity, made this statement. A hundred years from now, there will be no Christianity and no one will ever read the Bible. Ironically, almost a hundred years to the day, I think the French Bible Society opened up in his former mansion. (laughs) Just God's little sense of humor. If you abide in me, John 15, 7 and 8, and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, now listen to this, that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. So did you hear the sequencing here? There's a lot of talk and we talk about it here about spiritual formation and spiritual mentors and spiritual life. We must caveat all of that to say this. If you do not have a desire for this book to get absorbed here as well as here into the fiber of your being, all of this is just useless conversation. This is what is the transformative power through the work of the Holy Spirit who happens to be the author of the Scripture. Timothy was told by Paul in 2 Timothy that all Scripture, how much is it missing of that? None. All of it is God-breathed. Now, that's the same exact phraseology in the Old Testament of God's Spirit. When God breathed on Adam, he was formed and became a living spirit. This Scripture has been breathed on by the Holy Spirit of the Lord. 
And he is the, the authority. That's what the word author. The author has authority. The word authority comes from the whole idea of the person that wrote it. And God has, through approximately 40 different people over a, less than a 2,000-year period, given us this incredible 66 book. It's not a book. It's 66 different books. And the integrative genius of it only amplifies as you spend your life meditating on it. If you want to see your life changed, plant seeds of the Word of God in your life, you young people. I had an old dog, German Shepherd. Her name was Queen. And Queen loved to go out. I don't know where she'd find them because uh, she was a shepherd, so she was protector of the cattle, but she would find these big old bones. I think they were deer bones, deer legs, something. She would find them, and she would come back. She'd be prancing around. She's so proud of her find. And then she would go to her spot, which was under some shrubs. and She had her back. She could see out. She, she was, had her little den. And uh, she was a farm dog. She was not an inside dog. You, you didn't know there was those kind of dogs, did you? My mom and dad said dogs were for the outside, and I, I kind of grew up believing that. But uh, she was an outside dog, but she would chew on that bone. She devoured those bones. And eventually, those bones would disappear because she would literally eat them. These big old heart, you know, big old thigh bones. She would gnaw on them. In Isaiah, it talks about, Isaiah, let me get the exact verse for you. As a lion growls, a great lion over its prey. Isaiah 31.4. The word growl there is the word haga in the, Greek, in the Hebrew. And that is the same exact word that is more often than not translated in the Bible the word meditate. You go, excuse me? How, how does that work? Well, in, in Hebrew, a lot of times words, I mean, it's kind of like this, like a great lion who meditates over its prey. I mean, that sounds a little bit like Brenda sitting out on the park bench reading her Bible in her lap. That seems a little too peaceful and tepid. Versus uh, my dog Queen chewing on the bone, breaking it down, and digesting it. But that's exactly the word meditate has a lot more sense of violence, if you will, intentionality, purpose, desire, obsession. You ever been around a dog who's got a bone? What do they do? You get a little too close, even if it's your pet dog, Queen would go. It's like, I love you, Master, but don't mess with my bone. Right? Let me read you. Let's turn down our Bibles to Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. 
He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. <coughs> his face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up the seven thunders, what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Put down your sermon notes. Don't take your sermon notes. Just listen to what I've said as another way of translating that. So you have this mighty angel, cosmic angel, who's straddling the, the, the earth. And he has a little book in his hand, and he, it's a scroll. Now, now jump down to verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again against and about many people again about many people nations languages and kings when your words came i ate them this is jeremiah another prophet when your words came i ate them they were a joy and my heart's delight to bear your name so it's really fascinating these and and Ezekiel was told the same thing eat this book what happens when you digest something I was talking to um, Carlington this week he's he's got a brand new job he's got a freshly minted PhD he is uh, a poultry expert and the company he's gone to work uh, with is actually a chemical company and they produce micronutrients that go, that are superior nutritional elements that really are on a microscopic scale that go into food so that the chicken meat that you eat has less toxicity in it than it would if they were eating other kind of chemicals. Are, you, are, are all of you following my biology? How, how, how am I doing, Carlington? I, I can't teach your class yet, but I, but I, but I, I think I got it. And <coughs> part, of, part of what happens is... Uh, there, there's a phrase out there, you are what you eat. Well, there's actually some truth to this. This is, this is actually what the Scripture is saying. You are what you eat. You know, I can say this without any equivocation or doubt in my mind. Every single person I've ever known that fell away from the Lord was once someone who had almost no digestive nutrition of the Word of God in their life. Without exception. They were really fascinated by the fellowship of the saints. They really loved the, the experiences they had encounters. They loved being loved. 
But then all of a sudden, doubt assails them, and it's all because they have been undermined in their faith toward the authority and the validity and the importance of the Scripture in their life where it becomes a micronutrient that begins to absorb into every fiber of their being. And not only do they begin to digest it and it gets distributed, but it then becomes them. If I could say that if there's anything that so many of us that struggle with besetting sins or nonstop attitudes is partly because you haven't digested the Word of God in that area. And were you to meditate on it day and night? And that, that was one of the very first scriptures my mother asked me to memorize. This was before I was a young believer. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, for he growls over it day and night. He meditates on it. He breaks the bone and he incorporates it into his being or her being. I'm not talking about informational Christianity. Informational Christianity does not transform us. Formational Christianity is the hard work of digestion of eating the book. And here's the interesting thing. Almost all of us, when we find a Bible verse that we kind of focus on, we like, it's really, it really sweet in us. But as we begin to digest it, what happens? It starts opposing what's in us, and it turns our stomach sour. If you've never had an argument with the Bible, you've probably never read it very deeply. I, I just want to encourage you. That's okay. What begins to happen is it begins to alienate that which is alien to the kingdom of God. And what you begin to find is that you want to disagree with this Bible because you want to be the one in charge. You are the author of your own life. <coughs> and the author of life wants to replace your authorship, he's a better author than you are. But if you want to be self-created, he will allow you to do that. And this is where so much of the world is when it comes to approaching the Scripture, including the church world. You have to begin with a presupposition. I don't understand everything that I'm reading, and that's okay. It's amazing, somebody that has been following Jesus now since 1973, how much more I understand, because I have been pouring over this same book over and over and over again. For years. Now, when I was uh, flying a lot as a pilot, uh, I discovered something about, I, I, I got about four or five aviation magazines for single engine air, aircraft pilots. And I, can I just tell you, they, they weren't the best writers in the world. I mean, some of them were just, they were more mechanics and pilots just like me. They weren't literary, they didn't have literary agents training them. They weren't English majors. A lot of them were probably engineers, which probably are the worst writers in the world. <laughs> 
But I devoured those. I, I would read the same articles that said the same thing over and over again. You know why? I was obsessed in flying. I, I love flying. I did the same thing with my golf game. Uh, my golf game never got that good. Uh, and, and, you know, that's what we... If, how about cameras? Or some of you... So, many of us, when we have a passion, we read the same... We'll go back and read the same article. Oh, yeah. The, I, oh, ooh, I missed that. Well, that's called meditation. Raga. I'm devouring, digesting metabolizing the very thing and I be, and then when I get in a crisis situation when I'm flying my airplane it becomes automatic because I've had it digested deep inside of me I know what to do I don't panic if there's one thing you're trained as a pilot you do not panic you know why panic is is not allowed in the cockpit because panic kills it just kills you it's the only fruit of panic in a cockpit. That's why when the guys are going down and we hear the voice recorder, it sounds like they're on the beach sipping suds and they're about three seconds away from dying. That's how well they're trained. And see, that's what happens to us as we devour and consume and assimilate and metabolize the Word of God in our life. I'm making a description here. I'm making an appeal to you. Some of you have never experienced that to the, to the level, and part of that is because you need to actually know how to become a connoisseur of the food that you're being presented in the kingdom. And a lot of us have just been told, just go, don't, don't learn how to read the Bible, just read it. Well, I think there's a way to read it. It's kind of like great literature. How many of you have started Lord of the Rings but never finished it. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to. It's not a confession time. But you know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to you. I, I was that person for a while. I, I was like, <laughs> this is, I'm just too busy. This is a long book and this is boring. This first three chapters, it's like, uh, you know, and, but then you get into it. How many of you have read it at least three times? Okay, we got, we got, usually in every crowd, there's three, I've met people who read it eight, nine, ten times. Why? Because they learn how to read, and now they keep, every time they read, they discover new things. And that's exactly what happens with the scripture. Because the author knows what he's doing, and it's not that he has secret truth, but what he does is it secrets until you discover them. And he's really wanting you to discover them. So, let me just say this. The scripture is not about self-improvement, okay? The scripture is not about you understanding the Bible. The scripture is, is, is I, I'm, you go, well, Steve, do you, you mean I can't understand it? No, that's not the point. The point isn't, the, the scripture is not like a compass heading. You go, well, I thought the, it, it would give me direction for my life. Let me tell you something. I didn't find a Bible verse that says, you shall marry Brenda Jellicorse. Uh, Brenda Baird, maker of Jellicorse. I, I, I didn't see that scripture anywhere. Uh, there's so many things in my life that there's, there's no compass at all. 
There's no north or south. There's just mostly confusion out there. Except on the inside, something happens because I know what I know because I know the author of the book. And I have a sense of the direction and the because his word has begun to get incarnate. It becomes flesh in my flesh. The stories of the Bible are not primarily about abstractions or reductions of problems into big truths. The story of biblical language is not given so we can map and decipher the world or so we can orient ourselves on the map of life. Biblical language is not a means of command and control formulas so we can remove all ambiguity and conflict from our immediate surroundings. Biblical language invites us into the story of God that in fact leads to a life full of ambiguity and mystery, yet it brings us into a conversational participation with our Creator who does remove confusion and create the light as we make our mysterious discoveries of living fully. We must be on a guard against disincarnating the Bible stories into formulating ideas or summarizing rules or giving out informational religious education. We have to digest these words and metabolize them so that they become living flesh in each one of us. You know, sometimes I think those of us who are pastors and teachers, we spend so much time trying to get you to understand, and sometimes I think we miss the point. How many of you, when you don't understand something, you're wired in such a way that you just won't stop until you do? I'm, I, am, I love a puzzle like that. And so much of what we've done, I believe, is we've, we've so tried to make it palatable that we've turned it into pablum, which if you don't know what that is, that's baby food. Um, and there is, ba- there is a need for baby food in the Scripture, but there's also adult food. Let me... Um, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in the way we read the Scripture. Reverence for the written Word is healthy. Reverence for the Holy Spirit who wrote it is paramount. The Scripture as written to change our lives is not just stuff of information to pack into our brain cells. Woe to those of us who have the Bible that the early church did not have, and we don't submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit that they did have. They had the Old Testament Scriptures, and that was it. And many of them didn't have that. 
and yet they change the world. They're our forebears. They are good examples. That's why so many people, as they begin to study his church history, early, early church history called the Patristic Fathers, they, are the, they really model for us the type of Christianity that was the, was the seedbed of what we have. And it's not about us going back and doing everything they have because now we have the scriptures that the Holy Spirit has vetted and breathed on from the New Testament. But the point is they had a reliance on the author to teach them and lead them into all truth. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying over and over again. If you allow my word to abide in you, you will bear fruit. You will be a disciple. The consequence is you'll bear fruit and that proves you're a disciple. Fruitfulness is an example of someone that actually lives and abides and lets the word of God dwell richly inside of them. I'm going to say this again, and I I said it better when I was writing it down, so I'm going to read it. These are God-breathed words that are different than the informational-packed universe of knowledge found in our universities or in our grocery store list or our biology text or a computer manual. This is the type of information that's intended to work itself inside the reader, to bring them into a harmony with the salvation they've received, the community to which they're intended to be a part of, and the God they've been introduced to. Scripture reading like a dog with a bone or a lion with their prey, each digests, assimilates, and metabolizes the spiritual nutrition of the text. We behold it, and then we become it. Jesus said, when you see me, you'll be like me. That, that he is the living word. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And as we behold him in his glory through the word of God, we begin to be transformed, not because we're trying to get ourselves educated, full of noggin uh, information so we can smarter than the guy, so we can win the theological doctrinal argument, but so that we can become like the Jesus we're following. It's that simple. And you'll be able to defend good doctrine in the right spirit because good doctrine is really important and that's my second point is good doctrine is what comes out of meditating on the scripture the foundation of what we know about God is the Bible our encounter with him is the edifice be neither just a foundation or an edif- nor an edifice we are to be both in other words the foundation of who God is, is the scripture. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm going to make a statement. I want you to listen carefully because you may go out of here and say, well, Steve, here's my quote. The Bible is the word of God, but the Bible isn't all the word of God that's ever been said. Let me say it that way. It, 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 it's entirely the word of God, but God has had a lot of things to say that aren't in the Bible. And you don't know what those were or what those are. But as you allow the foundation of the Word of God to be cemented into your life, then what begins to happen when you hear the Word of God for your life that is not found on the pages of this book, 
you do not lose your orientation, which is always centered on Him. This, is, this thing called Christianity was first called the way. And the way had to do not with trying to figure out all your doctrinal issues and understandings. It was real simple. I just followed Jesus. And as I follow Jesus, I'll know where I'm supposed to be. Are you going north? I really don't know. I'm just following him. Are you going south? I really don't know. I'm, go- I'm just following him. Are you on the right path? Of course I am, because that's the same path he's taking. And the more familiar we are with the Scripture, and the more we've digested, internalized it, guess what happens? The more clearly we see the path in front of us. Without proper foundations from Scripture, we can enter into incorrect presumptions in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And that's where a lot of error and heresy gets introduced. Neglecting careful study of the Bible leads to errors as grievous as not encountering the Lord by the Holy Spirit while reading it. Did you get that? You know, you can, you can read the Bible, and, and that's a grievous error because you don't encounter the Lord. You're just encountering words on a page. And we've all done that, by the way. Every one of us have just, what did you read in the Bible today? I don't know, but I read it. I, the bone slipped out of my mouth, and I was indifferent to it. No, no, that's not, that's not meditating If there's anything I want out of today's monologue with you is this, that I just provoke a real deep hunger in your heart. I don't want you to feel condemned about this conversation. Let me just tell you, the the Word of God is always opposed by the enemy. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. He hates for you to read it. He hates for you to even pretend to read it like the little boy on the park bench. He hates that because he's afraid you might actually comprehend something. He hates it. He hates it. So know there's opposition to it. I want to read this. Humility means you embrace history's collective, collective distillation of good doctrine. I want to camp out on there. You've heard me say some some semi-negative things about doctrine, but let me just say this. Good doctrine, sound doctrine, is incredibly important. And you aren't finding any new doctrines in your study of the Bible. They've already been found. They're not mysteries. They're not secrets. You don't have any kind of inside job on God. That's why humility embraces the collective agreement down through the ages. People say, well, I don't see the Trinity in the Bible. Well, you just hadn't studied it close enough then. Because there is God the Son, there's God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And we have come up with the word the Trinity. The Bible doesn't use it. But the Bible doesn't go into deep explanation of it either. Because the incomprehensible God uh, can't be reduced to a formula. He wants to be known as he is, and he wants there to be a certain level of mystery, but at least we can make that distinguishing mark. 
that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's not a science project to be dissected and to be analyzed. He is the creator of all life of and existence in the universe. He is incomprehensible. And he has given us a little bit of information about what his physics is like, and that's it. The expression of any doctrine is insufficient to convey the entirety of the truth that the doctrine represents. Therefore, relationship with God the Holy Spirit is the bridge between concept and the reality. I'm going to just finish with this. When Brenda, who'd been a young believer, she got met some Baptist missionaries at the age of 11 or 12. She gave her heart to Jesus, and she really encountered the Lord, and she became a Christian. But at the age of 16, and, and, and by the way, Brenda was one of the state-perfect Bible memorization champion of the state of Tennessee. Year after year, her mom was a Bible drill instructor, and man, she knew the Bible in the King James Version too, by the way. And she, don't try to debate with her when it comes to quoting Bible verses. She will tear you up. Uh, but here's what happened. When she became, at 16, she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And her first experience was when she opened the Bible, she began to understand. It was almost like her cognitive understanding maybe wasn't improved, but there was something like a fire in her bones, so to speak. She was growling over what she was reading. Oh, this is good. I don't even know what it means, but it's good. Has everybody experienced that? I don't know what that means, but I'm going to meditate on it day and night. Well, I hope this morning that you will become like my dog and her bones. I, I, I pray that this morning every one of us will become devourers digesting the living Word of God. And next week, we got quite a treat. And we're going to practically show you how to crack the bone. We're going to do that. Uh, with uh, Craig and I are going to discuss that with you guys and maybe even take some... Yeah, man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a ta tag team duo right there. The devil will be in the ring and we will be tag teaming. <laughs> okay, enough bad, bad analogies. All right, Father, let's all stand. You know, this morning uh, we sang, I'm running back to you. The very first le uh, letter that the Lord Jesus said to the, the Spirit said to the seven churches, the book of Revelation in chapter 2 was to Ephesus. And, and here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, I know your deeds. I know you test those who call themselves apostles. I, I know you, you have good doctrine. It's basically what the Lord was saying. He said, you guys have been faithful. You've endured persecution. But he said, I have this against you. 
fallen away from your love of me. Repent from where you've fallen. You see, this is why, it's another way of me saying it. Having good doctrine is not sufficient. You have to have passion for the one who has taught us to understand his kingdom rightly. And so this morning, I just want to invite anybody who feels like there's some coldness in your life. Maybe it's toward the Word of God, or maybe you just you got distracted by the world, maybe the flesh. I mean, we all, we've all, every, can I just tell you, I, I have experienced every one of these things, and that invitation from Revelation 2, where he says, repent, return to your first love. That's why we sing these songs. Sometimes on Sunday morning you walk in and you just need to run back to the Lord. If that's you, I want you to do it today. Don't hesitate. That's what we do this for. So I'd ask for some of the elders and and life group leaders to come forward. If you just feel like there's a coldness that's entered your life, maybe you've been ensnared with some secret sin. Maybe, Maybe you don't even know why. And and if there's somebody here, I'm going to catch everybody. We believe the Word of God. He sent His Word and healed them. If you have physical sickness, and I don't care if you've had it for 10 years, and you've just kind of gotten despairing, and you got a little, you've lost your hope that the Lord will heal you, He will send His Word and heal you. Please come and get prayer. I, I believe in prayer. Constantly, I, 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 uh, I threw my back out yesterday, Slush, shoveling snow. Yeah, I did that, and I, I actually did it out here on the front steps with a rake. And I couldn't believe how much it was hurting. And finally, I went to bed last night. I just, I was laying there and I was going, Lord, this doesn't feel like it's getting better. And I just want to do my hand right here. I said, Lord, heal me. And when I woke up this morning, it was completely gone. And I was in terrible pain. So, you know, and and I can't say I had a big overwhelming surge of faith as I was going to sleep. So, you know, the Lord sometimes just needs you to shut up and get out of the way so he can work.